right, everybody. So today we are back with Abel Chabai for another Q&A. How are we doing, man? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. I uh, I have a failed Tempur-Pedic mattress experiment going on right now because I want to try it out. And it's funny. So when I was a kid, like infomercials were so big and Tempur-Pedic, it, was, it wasn't just, oh, there's different types of mattresses. It was like a specific thing. And it was like this magical thing. And I just thought, oh, like that's what rich people have as mattresses or something so what is that you never heard of it so it's like this memory foam like they'd have infomercials where like they have a wine glass sitting on top of it and people would be yeah. jumping up and down it's like oh wow it doesn't move and all this stuff so yeah um, so i get it and the first it's been two nights I'm like this is awful my neck is destroyed because i guess as i sink down my pillow does not so my neck is just like this so maybe I need to get a Tempur-Pedic pillow as well. So anybody who's got one, comment down below. Tell me what I'm doing wrong because it's got literally the, uh, I didn't get the Tempur-Pedic brand one. I got, it's not a generic, but it's just a different brand. 100,000 reviews on Amazon and, you know, better reviews than the Tempur-Pedic. So uh, yeah, that was a fail. So maybe I'm doing something wrong there. Yeah, I tried the pillow, never never the mattress. And the pillow was like, whatever. Uh, yeah. It's... Yeah, I just need a pillow. I realized it took me many years, but now I realize the type of pillow that I need. Mm-hmm. And it's always something that is kind of small. And then I always need a, like a support pillow that I can put my arm onto as I'm rolling right. over. So <laughs> right, that, that's right. my secret recipe. There you go. So uh, so how's the weight now? I know we had some bulking up we were doing. Yeah, yeah. I actually, I, I weighed in intentionally now because I expected that you would ask me. Um, <laughs> so it's uh, it was 95.4 or something, which I would it probably will drop a little bit. Usually I'm not the lightest first thing in the morning, but like an hour or two later. Okay. But um, it's, yeah, I so I, I did a bulk. I probably, like realistically, I probably went up to like, 98 kilos something like that like that was my true weight or 98 99 because i was over 100 like i think the highest i weighed was like 103 or something not first thing in the morning but i was like damn i'm a that's the heaviest you've ever been right oh yeah yeah definitely oh well yeah 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 no i was just thinking that maybe at some point uh when I got pretty fat, I was, but, but no, no, definitely. This is the heaviest. It's um, interesting how well you hold it, because I feel like like you had to get down to about, well, I mean, you got down to the 160. So for people who, who are okay. not using kilograms, uh, so 95 would be around 210 and he was up to around 220, but you hold it pretty well. Like I've seen your pictures, but even now like, you don't really get a double chin that much. I mean, I know your, your face is obviously holding more fat compared to where you're lean yeah but you don't get this like super bloated like double chin or anything like that um and then but to get like really really lean you're still getting into the 170s or so so it's it's interesting you know i mean that's like to get peeled yeah. but yeah yeah so yeah i mean to get to get peeled probably yeah 170s because so i was 165 right right around there when i was like seven percent body fat or so, but that was in 2019. Yeah, and even even then, so I I always say that, and and still maintain that probably I could have been like four or five pounds he- heavier maybe in total. So like what? Well, I I say one or two kilos heavier if I held on to muscle better, which yeah. 
I think it's not a stretch to say because I was just dieting so aggressively. So, and I, I think that since then I gained some muscle definitely. So I think to get equally lean now, probably I could be like 80 ish. Um, that, that's what I would guess, but um, 80 kilograms. Yeah. Some, something like that. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so basically that's if I factor in the muscle loss, which was not necessary at the time, plus like two, three kilos more muscle that I gained since then, something like that would be my, my estimate. Um, and I was down in the low eighties since then. Um, and I was, I was very lean, but not, not nearly as lean as, as then, I mean, nearly as lean, but like three, four, three, four percentages higher still. And then, yeah, like I, I would guess that, I mean, honestly, now I was, I was planning on asking this, like, like how, like how much arm size can I expect to retain if I'm going to lose at least 10 kilos and, <laughs> if and I want to get uh, pretty lean now finally. Right. Yeah. So actually now it's like a little bit over 41 centimeters, which, um, which is a, a big increase, but I mean, at the same time, I've never been this heavy. So sure. 16.14 for the, uh, those in America. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And it's, yeah. So it's, it's always been the case for me that it would go up to like 40 centimeters if I got up to these higher body fat percentages. Um, but never, never over 41 centimeters. So, so, I mean, that, that's, that's a big increase, but at the same time, I don't know how much I can hope to retain. Cause like also my waist is, is pretty freaking hefty now. Yeah. So do you want to tell yeah. people what it is? So yeah, it's like uh, 92 centimeters or something like that. So, so that I, is 36 and a quarter. Oof, big dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's it's. So I don't think I will ever see again because I mean, my, you know, if you gain muscle on your lower back and on these areas, like you, that also adds waist size. So I don't think I will ever go like under eighty centimeters. But I used to be like seventy-eight centimeters, even like seventy-five. It was like if I was really peeled and my stomach was really empty. Yeah, uh, with a stomach flex, I could I could get seventy-five centimeters. Like I, I don't think that will ever happen again unless I lose a bunch of muscle as well. So, but probably still like 40, uh, I mean, uh, 84 or so centimeters is my lean kind of measurement. Yeah. That's why I don't believe some of these, you get these, some of these bodybuilders who say they had a 29 inch waist or something. Some of them I think, sure. But I'm talking like the pros, like the IFB pros, because so when I was 130 pounds, I had a 29 and a half inch waist, which is not that small for somebody who's that skinny. Um, now, even if I was peeled, I don't think I could get below maybe 30 and a half, 30, like, like I get to a point where it just doesn't really drop that much. Like I'll, I'll drop a lot at the beginning. And then by the time I get to 185 down to like 178, it just doesn't drop that much more, even though other places are getting leaner. Now, obviously, I mean, some people like Jeffrey Verity Schofield, I don't understand his measurements. Like, I mean, that's ridiculous. He'll be 220. And I think he's still got like a 32 inch waist or something ridiculous, but yeah. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm sure some of them are like the guy, Andrew Jacked, if you know him, um, no, uh, Andrew Jacked was training with Larry wheels. He's now like competing at the Olympia, maybe like top 10 ish. And uh, some of these guys really do have these freaky small waists, but consistently when I've actually had people measure them, they're not as small as I would have expected. You were an example, actually. I was very surprised early on when we started talking measurements that you were yours was as big as it was. Not that it was big, but that it was the same as mine, essentially, at a given weight. 
because um, yeah. you know if I, if I was 220 i'd probably have a 36 some inch waist too so a lot of times when yeah. people actually measure and this is that i've talked about plenty of times like at a given body weight most of us have the same ish size arms the same ish size waist like there's not actually huge variability and i think some of the huge difference in how we look is just structural like in like in how things kind of come together yeah, but I, I brought up this example to you guys in the group with Brian that it, like like women are a very good example of this. So like if you look at me when I'm lean and you you look at some women that I that I know, like you would say, OK, like this is a very lean guy. I mean, this is like closer to a chubby girl than a skinny girl for sure. Mm-hmm. And like like they will have waist sizes like like i don't know 70 72 centimeters or something and it's like how is that possible but it's it, it's it's one of those things i don't know bone structure probably plays into it as well like it, it's one of those things where you you might look at a girl who is like a pretty tall one um like like my wife for example like she's pretty tall and like yeah i would guess that like whatever my shoulder back like this whole complex is bigger but if i try to put on her jacket i mean it's comical like i cannot even mm. fit into it like no way right. and it's right. like what so I'm, I'm that much bigger there. Like I wouldn't even think think that. Um, so I maybe something like that is going on with the waist as well to some extent. Sure. Yeah. Could be. Um, all right. So we got a lot of questions. Some of these they're they're a little bit older. Um, I just we hadn't gotten back in a while. So I'll just start. Let me make sure I go in the right order here. So first question: Programming tips for people with unpredictable schedules, like university students, by Ashad Mazar. All right. Uh, that seems like it's a good one for you, Abel. So I'll let you go first. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that if you have a couple of the big rocks in place, um, so what, what I what I used to do, and it's not the best approach, but 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 it is viable. So I, I think you're going to make progress this way. Um, it's going to be annoying in that keeping track of your progress can be tricky at times. But I I don't necessarily think it's less effective. It's just one of those things where it will be harder to diagnose what's actually happening with your progress. But what I used to do is that I would just have basically a list of exercises per week. And I would basically just look at how many total sets I wanted for each of those. And then I would just get them in in whatever way I would I would be able to get them in. And basically I, it would be just, I don't know, at, at Wednesday, I would see that, okay, like three days left of the week or whatever, well, more, right? But uh, how, how much more do I need to do of each? And it's um, it, it's one way to do it, but you can even make it like looser in that, for example, I, on my Fit Notes app, which if you're an Android user, <clears throat> I would highly recommend. It, it's free and very handy. I just see how many sets I did for each each muscle group per week. And I'm not even necessarily looking at the exercises necessarily. I'm just seeing that, okay, so for whatever chest I did five, I'm looking for 12. So, okay, I have three or four more days to get in the remaining seven sets. And so, so basically it's, it's very much freestyled in that way. Now, like that... I think can work. Um, it's progress is a lot more kind of all over the place. If you do this um, as, as in what you're actually tracking, it doesn't necessarily mean that muscle growth is any worse, but it's just harder to track things. 
Um, and then so so basically like every kind of um, addition in preciseness from then on is is going to be beneficial. So like a step lower then would be, okay, you have the exercises. So those are constant. After that would be something like, okay, you have the exercises and you just have some general rules of, okay, I won't be doing an exercise for at least three days after I have performed it once already. So that that's actually kind of what I'm striving for. So if I did this chest press machine exercise, I don't want to do that for at least three full days. So three full days off on the fourth one, I can do that again. So that would be like kind of an additional rule that I have for myself. And with some muscle groups, I try to not do them on back-to-back days. So for example, I train my lower back directly. I try to not do two lower back days or whatever back-to-back. So at least a day off in between. So you add a couple of more constraints on top of that. And you can actually have, a, I think, a schedule that looks pretty different week to week, but still consistent enough with the important things that you can actually make it pretty effective. So some, something like that, what I would say when yeah. first hearing this. Yeah. I think, uh, I think the first time I heard about something where it's okay, just get this amount done in a week was by Alberto Nunez. I mean, I don't know, seven years ago, a long time ago, and it might've been on pull-ups, but he was basically saying, this is just my weekly volume I'm trying to accomplish. And he didn't care how he brought it up. Some people would argue that you need a certain amount of stimulus <laughs> per workout. We've discussed this a little bit on the channel before, yeah. There's no evidence for that, you know, just that there's simply no studies on that or there's no studies that would suggest that that is the case that I've ever seen. I can kind of understand that, though, like you'd think, okay, if the biceps need a certain amount of stimulus, like, couldn't there be an argument that, you know, like if you were to break that down to a set, I don't think you could say, well, you'll do two reps and then you will do two reps and then you will do two reps and then eventually hit 10, even though, you know, because each one would be so far from failure if there was sufficient rest. So Obviously, to some degree, there's got to be sufficient tension and work done by the muscle in question. Does that extend then to sets? I think it could. I mean, I think it like I wouldn't be surprised if an advanced bodybuilder would do better with, let's say, seven or eight sets in two sessions and like once at a week. But again, I, I don't know. So in any case, um, I do like the idea, though, of like, I'm just trying to get this many sets per week. The other thing I would suggest is if you are going to stay with a specific split, have a split that is amenable to changing the days and frequency. Meaning, for example, if you had a setup where you're like, okay, on Sunday, I train arms and then on Tuesday, I do chest and back, but then you have an exam on Tuesday. So then you have to do chest and back on Monday or something happens Sunday. So you have to do arms on Monday. That's not going to work well because now I mean, it's not like this is going to be detrimental. You're going to make no results. But if we're trying to make things as good as possible, it's probably not ideal then if the chest and back comes right after an arm day where you're working so many muscles that are overlapping and then you're going to be weaker on chest and back. So that to me would not be a good setup for somebody who needs to have that flexibility. Um, but just like a general push-pull legs, for example, you could have that be anywhere from three to six days per week and and then have... A break in between, or if it's a, you know, maybe it's a week off from school, winter break, you could do two sessions of each workout. So six, and then maybe it's like a finals week and you can only do push and pull. And then you have to do legs several days later. That is a split that's very amenable. And that's not the only one. There's the other ones as well, but something that is amenable to being able to either add an extra day of rest or cut a day of rest, depending on what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, 
I think just in a general sense, like that's what I always tell to people. So if you need to cut your some of your workouts short, just move over some exercises to the session after or or something like that. Like it's uh it's really not a huge deal. Just maybe make a note for yourself so that you know that like okay, normally I rest like two days in between this lift and some other lift, and like now I only rested one or whatever. Just just know what you're doing when you look back at your log later. And um yeah, like I, I was just going to say that it's interesting, the whole like minimum volume per session. So I, I actually think that this is one of those areas where some really good studies would be helpful mm -hmm. because anecdotally, well, actually an anecdotally, I, I, I guess there is not that much support for doing very little volumes per session and then doing that frequently. Um, I'm, I'm sure there are some people who have done it, but definitely not the masses, but intuitively and, and logically like like thinking about it and like extrapolating from other things it's it's typically one of those things where you could kind of argue either way it's sort of like the metabolism thing like so you could make a really good like intuitive argument for high meal frequency or low or or like rest periods like if, if we didn't have any studies then i think it would be very difficult because like well yeah like you you don't let the muscle rest whatever like you accumulate more fatigue more quickly and and more like metabolic byproducts and the growth hormone whatever um on the other hand like the whole mechanical tension and how do we optimize for that that would also make sense so this is also one of those things where i could, yeah, I, I could make a very compelling argument for why the bro split can be very effective because like you get a lot of metabolic fatigue and you hammer it with a lot of tension in one session on the other hand, like because of the, you know, better, like total higher performance output, the very frequent training with low per session volumes, that also makes sense. So it's, yeah, like some really good study, I think would be very helpful here. Yeah. I mean, it, it wouldn't be terribly hard to set up. I just think when I look at the studies that have had higher frequency, but the same volume, they've always been neutral to, well, I don't say always, mostly have been neutral to positive to the higher frequency. Um, you know, it seems like most yeah. people kind of settle in on two to three times per week, but I think there are, I know there's some that are six days a week. I don't know if there's been some that have been seven, but yeah, it's all kind of speculation. I, I just, you would have to think there's a reason that nobody does that for the most part within bodybuilding, but yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Do small calves equal smaller calf gains? Have you ever seen a small calf turn into a big calf? <laughs> um, <laughs> I think this, this, you should start out with yeah, this. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, proportionally, I would say yes, right? It's like we see the studies where it's like, oh, well, women proportionally build just as much muscle as men. It's like, okay, but proportional to where they're starting, right? And therefore, there's smaller net gains. I think you'd see somebody who starts off, they've never really trained, but they're just athletic, whatever, not even, they have pretty good looking 16 inch calves versus somebody who starts with 13 inch calves. Probably the person who started with 16 inch calves is going to be bigger. What's interesting is I would say that's not necessarily the case when it comes to like total body. Like if you look, like, there's just so many examples of people who started as super skinny guys who then blew up like crazy, almost to the point that you can't predict it at all. Like Dorian Yates is a classic example, but you know, Jeffrey Verdi Schofield, like Steve Hall, like there's so many people who start very skinny and they blow up. And it, so where it almost doesn't correlate. I mean, sometimes you do see that person who's just 16, they don't do much and they're just jacked. And you're like, okay, almost always that does lead to somebody who has a really good response. Um, but I, the other way around, I would not say with calves though, 
I think just because everybody is stimulating their calves to some degree, you kind of already get that baseline. Like it's not like unless somebody's like an invalid and they're just lying around forever. Like you already kind of get some stimulus if you're just walking that I do think it, it is somewhat of a predictor. Plus you also get that. You, you always see that initial shape to begin with, right? Like we talked before, Abel and I actually have very similar sized calves measurement wise, but the shape is totally different. Um, as for the other part about, have you ever seen a small calf turn to a big calf? I have never, ever seen somebody turn a proportionally weak calf, meaning relative to their whole body, they have weak calves, turn it into a strong point. There's all these articles out there about how Arnold Schwarzenegger, he wore shorts to humiliate himself so that he would force his small calves to become a strong body part. And it's like, find me a, a picture where he has oddly small calves. Like, I just don't see that. And then find me a picture where it's like this ridiculously standout body part. It was a smaller muscle that grew proportionally with everything else. He has he had great calves when he was competing. He had fine calves when he was younger. It was it's just it was all proportional. And most people they grow proportional, and some people they grow less than proportional. Like I've mentioned before, like when I was in high school, I had 14 inch calves and 13 inch arms. I eventually got up to having 17 inch arms, and then you know I never had bigger than 15 inch calves. So um, I personally never seen it. I know there's everybody out there with all these different uh different calf training secrets but i've personally not seen it what about you abel yeah no i mean i i don't have that much to add because like you pretty much said everything i wanted to just to emphasize what you mentioned about the shape and how that that's so important because it's we we talked about this amongst each other that a lot of us will kind of end up with relatively similar numbers oftentimes like of course there are outliers but you know, like, like most people that we interact with will be like, whatever, some, something between like 5'10 and, and 6'1, something like that. Arms will be somewhere between, you know, 15 and 17 inches. And, and, and actually with calves as well, like you and I are, are a good example. So it's like, we joke about like how my calves are, are so great, even though mm. I, I don't train them. And like, you joke a lot about your own calves, how like, and, and that's your weakest muscle group probably out of everything that you've trained like very dedicatedly, but actually our cat, like my calves are not bigger than yours at all. It's literally mm -hmm. just like how long, like your shin is versus mine and where the muscle attaches. So it's, uh, mm -hmm. it's probably like a lot of people, it's, it's not even really the right question. Cause like probably a lot of people will achieve very similar numbers with their calves, is just like what we call good or bad calves, right? Yeah, yeah. And obviously, there is variation. Like I know, I think Brian's are closer to 16. Like plenty of people do have 16 plus inch calves. Um, not that many naturals that I see have like 17 to 18 plus, um, but some do. But but yeah, it's a lot of, and like that's what the general pop perception is, right? It's like how things look, obviously, because that's what that people care about. But there's I don't think they necessarily realize how much goes into that. And like you said, with women, same thing with women. Oh, this woman's got such a tiny waist or this. And it's like, maybe, but it's just a lot of how things flow together. So, yeah. And also teaser, I'll be having Eric Helms on soon to discuss his recent uh, calf experimentation. He's doing like oh. a yeah self-experiment on it with a, it's like a daily stretcher to have, I think yeah. it's an hour stretching per day. So we'll see what happens just, there. Just thinking of how could I do that with the lats? Can I put yeah, that in right. some kind of a cast? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, can you have Paul Carter on your podcast? Sure. I've never talked to Paul. I only know Paul through people talking yeah. about Cass and, and Brian and all them, but I don't, I don't actually really know that much about him. 
he would be probably a good guest. Like I, I've heard him on a couple of podcasts, and he's, you know, he's he seems like a good conversation partner, and also also pretty well spoken. So I mean, I think he could be a good guest. Yep. Uh, let's see. So, how do you feel about pre-workout? Um, I just did the Cavs one. So, if you want to go on that, free free workouts or three uh, pre-workout like supplement oh, pre-workout. Supplement. So none of them. Um, well, I I like them a lot. It's just um, often I train too late for them, mm. but yeah, I I think that they can sometimes make the difference between. Um, workout that's kind of a drag versus one where I almost feel euphoric and I see myself like five times better looking when I look in the mirror. So um, they, they, they can be great, but they just uh, easily mess up my sleep. That's a problem. Yeah. You? Yeah. I, I never really took them much. I was never a big supplement guy, but I remember taking super pump 250 in college and I took it at 11 a.m. And I, or for an 11 a.m. workout, so I probably took it at 10 a.m. And I would have this thing with caffeine where I could fall asleep, but it would wake me up early somehow. Like I just, I guess I must have just not achieved as deep of a sleep. So I was up at 2 a.m. and I was just like, okay, I I guess I'm up now. And I just couldn't fall back to sleep. But caffeine in general, yeah, I haven't had caffeine in years beyond like what's minimally in green tea. And even there, I have decaf green tea. So I pretty much have had no caffeine in years. I miss it because when you barely have it, once you do drink it, like you said, you become euphoric. Like, this is awesome. Like, I, I do miss occasionally being able to have that, uh, but it's been a long time. I think as far as effectiveness, it's fine. But as with most of these things, is there actually a difference in the trajectory of your long-term progress using it versus not? The only way I would say that would be the case is if psychologically, it just makes you enjoy it more. And so therefore, you're more likely to continue doing it. But like the only one I could maybe see having a long-term effect would be creatine. I've, you know, I've discussed this before. It's like, is it just giving you a bump and you're always 2% better than if you didn't take it? Or is it actually increasing it exponentially? Um, I don't think anything like caffeine or citrulline are probably is doing that. Maybe creatine is, but again, I doubt it. So I think it's probably like for a PR day or a day where you're really dragging, it's fine. Otherwise, I don't really see the need for it. Yeah, agreed. So this one is actually, there. there's two similar ones. So one is thoughts on DC training for natties. Can we get far doing it over high volume training? And the other is out of all the training systems you have, which one do you think is the best for natties? Um, so I would say to be direct about DC training. Yeah, I think DC training is fine for naturals. I don't think, like when I... When I was first read about DC, I, I had this respect for it. That, yeah, I still do, but um, it was like you couldn't do it until you were at this advanced stage. Like you had to because it's low volume and you're pushing to failure, and then you you have to really push hard, and then you do these intense stretches afterwards, and it's pretty miserable it, to me in a fun way. But most people would not find it fun, and so I do think that most people probably should wait. Like it, does, it makes no sense for beginners to do it, and even intermediates, it doesn't make sense. But eventually, I was like, okay, I'm never going to be like 230 lean, like a lot of these guys are. So I'm just going to do it now that I've been training for 15 years. But by that point, I was already so far with, you know, training that it wasn't doing much for me. Um, But I I think it's a good routine. I think it focuses on the key tenants of higher protein intake, you know, getting the calories down, um, you know, the, the stretching 
I don't think really does much. I think most people who I've talked to have said they don't think it does that much for them. I understand there's some studies on stretching, but most of the studies that we have on stretching causing hypertrophy are on stretching versus nothing, right? Or it adds volume, net volume. So it's like, well, what if the person just did another set? I think it's fine. I don't think it hurts anything. I personally don't feel like I've ever seen much from it, but I think it's fine to do. Um, but no, I think it's a good routine that focuses on the important things. As far as the best routine for natties, it's probably not a surprise that I'm going to say, I don't think there is a best routine. I, I've said recently how I think if you go back 10, 15 years, there is this huge emphasis on these different splits. And thankfully, most people don't talk about that too much these days where it's like it's going to make some huge difference. I think it just comes down to finding like, I don't think it's a specific routine. I think early intermediates and all that stuff, it's fine. Like, hey, I'm going to try the Texas method. I'm going to try Bill Starr's five by five. I'm going to try five, three, one or whatever, um, or fat routine. But I, I think those are just things to try. I don't think, obviously, I don't think there's going to be a best single thing for all naturals. Yeah, yeah. I mean, on the on the split side of things, I definitely agree. And um, so, so with DC, so there is the stretches, but it's also like uh, sort of a rest pause type setup, right? So you're resting like forty seconds, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. So with DC training, you basically do three sets. Well, I call them three sets because they say you rest fifteen to twenty breaths. Which, if you just did a set. 15 to 20 breaths. I mean, that's like 45 seconds for a lot of people. It could be even more for some of these big guys. Just like, so, um, but basically it's three uh, total rest pause within there. So you do, let's say like a hammer strength incline press, and you do that as hard as you can, like all out 14 reps, you rest those 15 breaths, then maybe you get five. Then you rest 15 breaths, then maybe you get three. Then you immediately would go to an intense stretch with like dumbbells and do like a pec fly kind of a stretch or something. Um, and then that would be all you do for chest until you hit it again four or five days later. And then the next time you do it, you have an exercise rotation. So you would choose three different exercises that you uh, rotate through. So you're really only hitting the same exercise every two weeks or so. Um, okay. And then the idea is then you just got to beat it the next time. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's um to me honestly that's that's the most interesting part of this the like how effective is a setup which uses some sort of rest pause compared to straight sets because honestly for me like my dream would be that it would actually turn out that it's all about volume and like the like the more you can recover from the better and rest pause is as good as non rest pause mm -hmm. because then I would like it would be like super easy like um basically it's just a matter of how much are you willing to suffer in a in a training session but like time management would never really be an issue and it's i mean i, I don't like i would have a hard time explaining why rest pause for example wouldn't be as effective as as straight sets mm -hmm. it, and it, or, or even more effective it to me it's it's one of those things whenever someone is asking me about this is that because we don't know, like we kind of just need to make um, like educated guesses and and do what's like given everything that we know and see is go gonna have the highest likelihood of working well. Like that's why actually I I don't use like the you know very frequent training with low per session volumes with many clients. Actually, maybe like om almost with none of them at this point. Um, because it's like, well, it could be equally good, but like, let, let's just like, let's just do what, like, if I had to put my money on it, this is, this has the highest likelihood of working well. 
And the same thing with Respos, like I can totally see it being equally effective, but like it's just, uh, yeah, given everything that we've seen so far, it, it just seems like the safer safer option to rest like the traditional like three minutes or so between sets and whatever. So 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 that's why personally I wouldn't use safer, that. Safer like more yeah. likely to lead to the best results or safer like even from an injury standpoint? Uh, best results yeah. standpoint, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, especially on compound lifts, on 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 ISO stuff. Um, maybe maybe it doesn't matter, but but to be honest, even there, I prefer to rest like like at least like a um a minute between limbs. Which okay, in the case of DC, it doesn't necessarily have to be a huge difference, but yeah. So 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 that's my only thing um with training systems like this. So. Like if you're if if this guy is asking like what I think is the best split like there is no best split but I would say something like a traditional kind of bodybuilding um, split for, from like newer times so two three times per week for a muscle group and yeah like in the like ten ish sets in the ten to fifteen range something like that like traditional kind of rest periods actually rest as long as you need to and. Um, yeah, like intelligent exercise selection, which you can like easily read up on. Um, and, and like, like that's the best system. I think that's kind of like the, the safest option, I think, in my opinion, isn't like it definitely not going to backfire, probably going to work pretty well. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I brought this up to Mike Gizertel. I was like, you know, we have studies showing that the longer rest intervals are better. But then we also have studies showing either neutral results or sometimes even positive, but usually just neutral to drop sets and rest pause compared to straight sets. So it's like, okay, if we're saying that longer rest is better, then how can three sets on an exercise be giving the same results as rest pause, which is not only going to have less rest, but also less volume unless you're dropping the weight, right? So if you did a drop set and dropped the weight a ton, maybe you could do more volume just because you're you're going to be doing higher reps. But in the example I just gave, like I said, maybe you're doing 14 and then you're getting seven and then you're getting five reps versus if you rested adequately, you get 14, then maybe even if you went to all out failure on all the sets, maybe 14, 11, nine or something. So now we're yeah. losing rest time and losing volume. And yet in the studies, we're seeing the same results. It's like, how does that make sense? The only thing you can really say is, well, maybe the sample size is too small to pick it up. They're underpowered. They're not long enough, maybe. But most of them are similar length, so it's it's a little odd. Maybe they're more likely in some of these studies to actually work hard if you're they're <laughs> doing rest pause. Like otherwise, they would be more inclined to bust out at like a couple of reps in reserve and this way, like resting for a short amount of time. Like they can't help but go pretty close to failure. Could be yeah. that. I like rest pause simply because it's efficient. So my workouts go faster. Yeah. Um, I sometimes like it's one of the many reasons that I've stopped liking going to my gym recently is just it gets crowded and I try to superset and there's just that psychological stress of, okay, I'm taking up these two machines. And like, even if somebody's not asking me to go on, they probably want to go on. So um, I was doing yeah. a uh, rest pause just so I can just do it on one and, and be done with it. And I do like it again. I haven't seen any difference one way or the other, but I've mentioned before, I'm not a good gauge for that because I'm kind of at that point where nothing's really going to, progress me but also not that much is going to make me smaller so <laughs> I, I have a lot of wiggle room. doesn't mean it's going to make me you know it's like the best gauge for everybody else yeah yeah all right so elitzer bergman any experience with insane fatigue tiredness directly after a high intensity lifting session 
So yeah, definitely. Um, and and actually, there is um, there is one video that I I even showed it to my wife because it I, I think it's maybe the one of the best videos on what true training to failure is like on leg press. And um, it's, it's Jeffrey Verdi Schofield's video on something like what true failure looks like or, or something like that. And then he demonstrates it on the leg press. And like you, you can just see or you can just look at him and see his facial expressions and the tone of his voice and you, you can see that he it's truly a devastating experience like uh, he's just like minutes later he's like i mean this is this is unbelievable like this this kind of thing like ruins your whole day <laughs> and and it, and it is really like that like i a couple of years ago i did this um like myo rep type set on the leg press and it was so i was going for 30 reps on the first set and then did like two mile rep sets afterwards or something and like and i don't even understand what i was thinking like that was the first exercise so it was even worse so i still needed to complete the whole workout after that and it's um yeah like like mike israel's like verbiage there is is really appropriate i think that is it's like a religious experience like it, it, it makes you question your entire existence and whatever it's is that kind of a thing and and yeah like after those the the whole day i was basically in this like haze and then confusion like I, I just wanted to sit on the couch like it's yeah like like some things are, are just going to take a lot out of you and um honestly like like sometimes i just don't really know the best policy for for implementing some things like this like even on like romanian deadlifts for example now like i got pretty strong now again and like strong enough to where i cannot really win with the whole thing because i either go super super heavy for me and then i do like four or five reps only which maybe is not gonna fatigue me that much cardio wise but then it's like man i just don't want to lift weights that heavy to be honest or i do like eight to 10 reps, but, but they're still pretty heavy. And that that's going to crush me for the remainder of the session. So yeah. basically it fucks up my entire session and it's not, not great. And if I do it as the last exercise, then man, like, I don't want to lift weights like that when I'm tired already. So yeah, like in, in some cases, if this is really an issue, like maybe your best bet is just removing them temporarily, like in, on a diet, for example, if you're like really beat up already, um, Otherwise, it's just, um, I don't know, something to deal with, I guess. Do you have any insight on that? Yeah, well, just real quick on the, um, like, where to do it in, as far as the order. That is actually why with DC training, they do their, what's called Widowmakers at the end of a workout. Because they're like, okay, after you do this, you're just not going to want to do anything else. So Widowmaker is basically being like breathing squats where you... In theory, take a 10 rep max and do it for 20 reps. I think if it was a true 10 rep max, you wouldn't, but maybe it's a 12 or 14 rep max. But the point is you take a, a weight that's extremely hard to do in that range, and then you've got to do breathing reps throughout. So um, I think, so it's weird. I, I've had a few sessions where it's like, I'm not just, I'm not like out of breath or anything. I'm just sleepy and it'll just hit me halfway through. Um, obviously, I'd say it's pretty common to just be fatigued after like a really intense leg workout. I think... Uh, like what Jeff said and everything, it's those leg days I, I in high school, they would haunt me. Like on Saturday, I would do these insane leg days. And by Thursday, sometimes even Wednesday, you're like, oh, crap, this day is coming up. And it was it's just like haunting. Um, but I think it's also a lot easier 
to do those when you think that it's going to lead to progression. And this is something I've mentioned as well, that people really ignore this psychological aspect of it, or they'll say something like, like, oh, Jared Feather, he's so dedicated. And it's like, yeah, but he had a really good response to lifting. And yeah. whether it's lifting, sports, any like school, you gravitate towards what you're good at. And this is so often ignored. It's like, oh, look at these traits. This person, he wants to do this and he pushes himself. It's like, yeah, like, it's so much easier to do that. Like, if you imagine, I think about this with, with fighting all the time, like UFC and whatnot, where it's like, man, I cannot imagine going through this insanely difficult training camp for 12 weeks. And you're obviously always training, but then the training camp is even worse and dieting down and putting everything on the line and then getting knocked out in like a minute. And then to like keep <laughs> going and do that again. Like, how do you get yourself up? Like the fourth time that happens, be like, what do I do? Like, sometimes I look up these fighters who, you know, I, I'll see them from like years back. And I'm like, oh, I wonder what they're looking and they're doing now. And maybe they've dropped to a different organization that's not as competitive. And now they're in their mid thirties. And it's like, they're still fighting because they don't have anything else they can do. But it's like, how do you get yourself up and be like, well, I know I'm never going to be a champion. I'm just trying to do like this to make some money. Obviously, you're not going to be able to push yourself as hard. It's just because why would you? It just sucks. And I would think obviously it's not as bad from a bodybuilding and like lifting standpoint. But like I look back at some of the leg days I used to do and they were so grueling and like, I, like 225 for 15 front squats. And then I did another set of front squats. Like I'm like just choking myself out and then supersetting like a leg press with a hack squat and minimal rest and like almost throwing up numerous times and all these things. And it's like, okay, if I'm at a point where I just don't believe anymore that these things are going to do it, like, why would I torture myself? <laughs> you know, like yeah. if either way, if I can like not do that now, sometimes with arm days or something like that, like I'll still go pretty crazy, but um, you know, like I've had periods where I then do go super intense on the leg days and it didn't change anything. So like with Jeffrey doing that, I mean, I found, I didn't see his video, so maybe it was just one set, but just an overall crazy workout. Yeah, well, I think you do get to a point where you're just like, all right, this suffering is not doing anything. So let me just start to do workouts that are enjoyable if it's going to be the same either way, you know? Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and yeah, it's definitely the case where like, it's, it's easy to be very dedicated and to put in the really hard work when things are clearly working. And yeah, like... To be honest, like for for a long time, like that's my that's why like the YouTube channel. I mean, lately I haven't been great with it, but um, it's only as big as it is after many years. But but actually, it's one of those things that I'm the most proud of because for for many years, actually, like it really like the results di didn't come. Like I didn't get really subscriber. I never had a phase of like exponential growth um, for a very long time. I. I didn't make a cent off of it and and I was still very consistent with it and and it was really discouraging for a long time and, and that's why like when I look at this it's it's one of my prize that like wow like I I don't think a lot of people would have been this consistent with mm. the results I was seeing for a long time and it's definitely yeah yeah the the fighting analogy is very good like like how must it be like for those people that you know that like a big fighters that like okay let's make a career like a great career build it build this guy up um and like those first couple of opponents that they get are basically just these punching bags that like yeah like he will get like an easy first round knockout it will be good for him and you yeah. look at the record of the guy and it's like 
you know, five wins, like 30 losses, <laughs> like yeah. something like this. Like, yeah, like how, how, how do they even train super hard for these matches? Or are they just like, well, okay, let's at least show up, not overweight, but I mean, they're going to beat the shit out of me anyway. <laughs> yeah, they probably get paid some amount. Just like, hey, show up, we'll give you 500 bucks or whatever. But yeah, it's, uh, it is, it is kind of crazy, especially with fighting where it's so detrimental to your health and, and everything long term. Yeah. But yeah, that's like, I mean, that, like, that's a great point though, because coaches who are, are good, will kind of plant these wins in there because there is a huge psychology to it. Right. And it's just, I, I think this is just so often ignored that when, when people who are successful are praised, it's like, yes, they probably have worked very hard and I'm not in any way trying to take away from that. But, you know, I, I gave my, in my genetics video, the difference between my academic success and, and business success versus the, you know, bodybuilding success. And there was a lot more positive feedback in one of them. And, and not surprisingly, that was almost, easier in a sense to keep going because it was just like oh it keeps being successful you know yeah yeah so joshi yeah said if you've ever encountered a too fat to bulk too skinny to cut situation what did you do uh whoa that's, that's a good question <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah so like i think in my recent podcast with uh dr um, Alan Bacon, we were talking about how that, that's, that's really the hardest thing to deal with, right? And, and that is often what you get because, I mean, everybody wants to be bigger and leaner, but there are some people where it's like, this is a clear situation. This is why, you know, I, I've said this to Steve Hall before, but it's like, if you look at Steve Hall's early pictures and you tell me that this guy has crappy genetics, I think you're nuts. To see somebody who's that lean that they literally have pec striations before they've ever picked up a weight is crazy. There are plenty of people who would just, and you could say, oh, well, he was running. Okay. Plenty of people are runners and are just skinny fat. They have no like, you know, muscle tone. They have no definition at all. So if you're that lean, like show me anybody who's like 15, 16, 17, and just really lean, I don't care how skinny they are. I can pretty much guarantee they're going to look fantastic within a few years of lifting. They're going to look much more impressive. It's somebody who just looks like they just Eat, eaten like Doritos their whole life and it's just a skinny fat blob <laughs> that is a lot harder to deal with yeah yeah it's I, I think it's worth it to address this question because um my perspective changed on this over the years um and and I think so on my website there's this free downloadable ebook thingy that I put up and that's that's about this so uh, like should I cut or bulk basically is the title and in that one, I basically made the argument that, well, listen, I mean, you're probably both fatter and less muscular than what your kind of ideal physique is. Mm -hmm. So how about you do what you can do faster for now and then worry about the thing that's going to take a lot more time anyway. So yeah, just cut down first, then at least like you're going to get closer to the, the, the leanness part of that ideal image that you have. And then after that, you can work on the muscle. Um, it it makes sense but at the same time like like there are some cases where someone is like it's truly too skinny to cut and and at the same time it's just too too soft to bulk so um i i think that is just a more nuanced thing and probably it's worth asking some questions of the person so like let's say i see like a prototypical kind of skinny fat person um, if that person was traditionally kind of like a, a, a fat kid and actually they dieted down to this spot. So this is actually a huge accomplishment that they mm -hmm. got this lean and now they or might be like kind of like crazy hungry all the time or whatever. It's probably like cutting even further is not the best solution. If this is kind of just their like hang around 
weight and and body body composition and this is what they do by just sitting on the couch and eating chips all the time then yeah like like probably like a bit of a deficit phase like higher protein whatever they are going to be so satiated on that diet compared to the shitty one that they had so far that yeah like cutting could be a totally valid option um also like age right like if it's a really young dude like then i'm always a little bit reluctant to make them cut unless they are like very obviously over fat but that's not what we are talking about um and so also like how how beginner is the person so if it's like a relatively new person to lifting or completely new then i think actually trying to achieve some like recomping like addressing that more purposefully by putting them into like a small deficit and just make them train hard like they they could really go through that magical phase of like yeah like my body is just getting bigger and leaner seemingly so in that case that's a totally valid option um to put a person like that so that's where it comes down to like okay is it more of a skinny person or is it more of a fat person because oftentimes like you can pick one or the other mm-hmm. um so so there is that but like if it's truly like that kind of in between like no man's land then then i think it comes down to these like personalized questions of, about the person and from that you can kind of make a better judgment call i don't know probably that was a bit too vague but but no, very I wise think- <laughs> I think it has to be vague because it really does depend on the person's history. Like you said, are they dieted down to the skinny fat or are they just naturally that skinny fat? Um, their age, as you mentioned, you know, I'm very reluctant to have somebody who's even below 18 do too much dieting. Um, you know, do they have some base level of strength where, you know, there's actually muscle underneath there, but they just kind of look skinny fat. There's so much that goes into it. I like what you said about, you know, it's a lot easier to get to the lean aspect of it first. So that makes sense. Um, but I also think it's a period of time that if you are a ranked beginner, you can, because you can be skinny fat and not be a total beginner, you know, but if you're a ranked beginner, you could use that time to recomp. Like that's one of the few times that I do think it makes sense to kind of recomp. So, um, it is vague, but it's, it's necessarily vague. So BDDDDDD74 asks, lower body grows much faster than upper. Is this common? I would say, consider yourself blessed. <laughs> Uh, I, it's so, I actually feel like it is kind of common. Um, and then probably like someone, actually someone like you with like long legs might, might jump in and say like, no, no, actually I have to work really hard to grow my legs. But I, I feel like this is, this is something I commonly hear that my lower body grows easily, but of course, it might be just a, a psychological thing that actually it doesn't grow any faster than the upper body. It's just you care about it less. So it sure. grows fast enough for your liking, whereas your upper body doesn't. Um, but it but but it is kind of something that I, I tend to see that like you look at someone who looks kind of on not, not untrained, but like not not like someone who got close to their genetic potential but have like very respectable like quad size and like you look at their legs and it's like okay this person definitely trains so i feel like this is somewhat common and 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 also like like a guy will pretty frequently in my experience get to that point where like uh, like need to buy new jeans and whatever like it kind of looks funny because my ass is protruding so much in these pants i need new ones whereas like upper body is just I mean, it's just hard to grow. Um, so I don't know. What is your experience? I actually do think it's as common as somebody who has a disproportionately uh, large upper body. I think it's 
at least like genetically speaking, I think you don't see it as often because people don't tend to train lower body sometimes at all. Um, sometimes just not nearly as hard with as much emphasis as the upper body. But I think if somebody, you just took, you know, a hundred people and you had them train their upper body and lower body, you know, let's say quote unquote, ideally, I think you'd have plenty of people, maybe half, maybe close where their upper body is larger. And then same thing with uh, lower body. I can think of a couple like uh, Milo Wolf is an example where like really dominant lower body, you know, good upper body, but really dominant. Uh, Revive Stronger just posted somebody, one of their clients that he's like about to compete, I think. And his lower body is pretty impressive. And his upper body, it, I mean, it looks like somebody who's been training for 10 years on their lower body and like two years on their upper body. I mean, it's a huge difference. Actually, even um, Pascal Floor is another example where yeah. his lower body is much more impressive than his upper body. So you, you see that plenty of times. Um, and also, you know, again, we, we talk about my proportions and whatnot, but my, my thighs are not skinny. Like I've had, even right now, I just measured them the other day at the largest area, they are about 26 and a half inches. And in the middle, they're like 24, 24 and a half. I mean, those aren't small thighs for a guy who's like, you know, 195 or so. I mean, they're not huge, but most of it is the shape. I, I know one guy who thinks his quads are amazing and then they're, they're shaped well, I guess, but they're probably like 21, 22 inch quads it's just um and i think even your your quads and your legs in general able are, are pretty solid but the measurements aren't huge so uh, again yeah. it goes a lot back to limb length and and all that stuff 50 56 centimeters by the way just uh measured them now you see that what is that i always i literally just have to have a calculator when i talk to you because <laughs> oh so uh 22 that's in the center uh yeah yeah i, I tried to measure it at the fattest part Oh, that's at the fattest part. So it's mine. Mine is just fat, like larger and larger the more I go up. So if I measure it like kind of right at like the glute ham tie in, that's where I get like 26 and a half or so. But I tried, it's very hard with like, like unlike arms where I can consistently get the exact same spot for measurements with legs, it's tough because you move it a little bit. So I try to just do, I'll put my arms to my side and I'll just see kind of where my fingers naturally like fall to, which is kind of right around the middle. And that's where I measure. Yeah, it's actually okay. I'll I'll do this again now because because like I'm actually curious like how much will I grow back once I start training quads again? Oh yeah, um, you're waiting now. Yeah, gotta be a lot bigger now. Yeah. Okay. Now it's fifty eight. Okay. And that's but, in the middle. Yeah. So it's well, I'll show you where. <laughs> it's quads. Here. It's okay. Here. See, so that's not even 23 inches then, which is crazy because you look like you have, I mean, not, again, not that that's small, but you look like you have these meaty legs and like, that's a pretty. I think that's because they're short. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have particularly short legs. Sure. So. Wish I could be five, five, man. <laughs> what a dream it would be. <laughs> just, just for the ladies, I'm not five, five. Just kidding. Right. <laughs> um, have you seen Jason Genova's upper body, lower body thing? No. I, uh, I I won't I won't uh, bother people with a minute and a half. But so this is this is the video on here. I'll, I'll link it down below. But it's just uh, this has stood out to me. Anytime I hear somebody talk about this topic, and he just goes on this ramble about it's like the upper body, you know, the lower body. If the lower body is strong, you know, if the lower body is weak, you got a problem. If the upper body, and he just goes on this ridiculous ramble for a minute and a half, and the <laughs> guy who's interviewing him or whatever is like, Jesus, I can't take this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but he uh, but he's still active. 
Um, this is like 10 years ago. I don't know if uh, oh, okay. I don't know if he's still active anymore. Okay. Uh, okay, let's see. All right, I'm just gonna go real quick with this one. Out of the 18 plus years of experience, what training variables works best for you? It's a pretty. It's that's that could be a a book. <laughs> so I would just say my emphasis on progressive overload and both with diet and training has been definitely responsible for the majority of the results, which obviously you can get into, well, how do you progressively overload what leads to that? But I'm just going to leave that there and just say progressing over time with increased calories, progressing over time with getting stronger in moderate rep ranges. That's like the vast majority of it. Yeah. Yeah. I would say same. And then on top of that, I would just say like, I always um, like relatively lower volume, or moderate volume and yeah, so relatively consistent. So I talked about how you can be flexible, but relatively consistent schedule and yeah, moderate, moderate volumes, strong focus on progressive overload. And yeah, anytime I went considerably higher in volumes, I'm not saying it didn't help, but it was, I, I couldn't tell if it helped, mm -hmm. but it always made it harder to, to overload and to focus on that progressive overload, like always like more likely to get niggled up and whatever. So easily overviewable, moderate volume, strong focus on the progression. And it, whenever I got stronger, uh, considerably, those were the times when I could look at an area and say like, okay, like I think I had made progress muscle wise mm -hmm. as well. I like this one. Uh, Jasper Giddy, when were you enjoying training the most? Huh? That's a so, good question. Yeah. Um, I would say looking back, probably uh, college and dental school. And again, it's one of those things where you always, well, like one, there's the rosy retrospection. And two, it's never as enjoyable at the time because you're like, I got to get these results now. I got to get these results now. So unfortunately, it wasn't until these last few years where I haven't made progress <laughs> that or at least not significant mm -hmm. progress where I've been able to actually just step back and enjoy it more just for the training itself. However, I think if I could have gone back with my current mindset, that would have been the best period. And I, and I did really enjoy it um, for a number of reasons. Number one, I was clearly making the best progress. Like you'd think, oh, you started in high school. That's when the best progress was. And it's like, honestly, my first year, I made a lot of progress. And then uh, my junior and senior year, I just, there was like other like stuff going on and I just didn't progress that much. But in college, I gained eight pounds net my first year, seven, no, sorry, seven pounds, then eight pounds my sophomore year, uh, then probably like five and then maybe like three and then dental school, I got kind of another boost. And, um, so that was awesome to see that progress and to like really visually see that. I was getting way more attention from people because of that. And so that was nice. Obviously, like at the time, you know, you're like 20, 21, like all these women complimenting you. That was really nice. Um, and then I would say also just socially, like when I was in high school, I kind of just worked out alone in my basement. And then when I went to college and dental school, it became very social. And it's not like, oh, I'm just talking at the gym all the time. But that's literally my closest friends to this date are... Um, my closest friends to this day are the people I met at the gym, both in college and dental school, like some of my very mm -hmm. close friends. And I, you know, you had that initial bonding experience. And then even if they don't lift as much now, you still had that initial thing to kind of create that friendship. So 
I really enjoyed the environment, which is actually one of the several reasons I don't like the gym as much anymore, because at the time we were all kind of doing the same thing. We're on the same path. And now when I go to the gym, it's just like a lot of people who, I don't know, it's just a very different environment, just being like a gen pop gym, but a university gym for those four to eight years was really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, just that, that reminded me that I, I fucking, I really need to complete this home gym building project because more and more what NH said, NH has a video that has the title, uh, build a home gym. And then like a subtitle is escape the Gestapo. I don't know. Is that how you say the English? Mm. Gestapo. And <laughs> so anyway, but, but yeah, like I, I'm just so fed up of like, just the people in the gym, God damn it! But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's I, I. I've had a couple of phases that I really enjoyed. I I had when I was like 22, 23, I was in New Zealand, and and there, similarly to you, like I had this little crew that I was regularly co- going to the gym with, and I also had this phase where I was just making really good progress, and um, I was only training like three days a week, so because I was following like Martin Burkhannon these gay these guys so that was i was always super enthusiastic and i was always really looking forward to going to the gym that was not that was great and then in 2019 when i did that crazy high volume experiment um that that was one of those phases where i was just crazy excited about what i can do still so like okay maybe this crazy high volume that's gonna do something magical so that was exciting and I, I had a couple of like random ones, like like shorter ones. Like um, I remember when in 2017, like winter, it was, um, yeah, I was doing like four, sometimes five days a week, like moderate volume. And I was just, um, I got a little bit overzealous about certain things that were really working well for me. I kind of, I kind of thought that I found the, the magic bullet for training because I like, that was one of those like come to Jesus moments where I really moderated the amount of volume I was doing, stopped a bunch of the fluff and really like just, just focused on kind of the the basics and progression and things were working so well that uh, like you can go back and listen to some of those videos and podcasts I recorded at the time. It's all, it almost seems like a person who just did some like LSD or something recently. <laughs> Cause I just seemed like so enlightened that like, man, like, like this is really, really so amazing. So I got a bit overzealous, but it was really enjoyable. And other than that, it's just like I just remember these random like weeks where it was just so cool. Um, maybe I was like looking forward to like going on a vacation or something, and I was like doing a little bit of a mini cut or something. And like the training before that was so in, so cool because I went there and I felt like I was on a mission towards something. Yeah, uh, but these are just like short random ones. So. Yeah, on the short random ones, I would say I've said this several times before, but cruises, I love like when I go on vacation and find a gym there. Um, But cruises, there's like nothing more enjoyable to me than I get up early um, with like my brother or a friend or something. We go get a workout in because there's not there's no pressure on the workout. Like you're just lifting for fun. I think uh, Bigger Steve recently was saying it's like an amusement park. And that probably sounds so weird to certain people who are not into the the fitness lifestyle. But that's just what I, I like to do. And then when I go and then after that, we'll get like a buffet meal, whatever. That's always great. Um, there was one other thing that you said that I was going to mention on that. Um, Mission for something. Uh, no, just with the, uh, with the gym. So actually one of the questions is the home gym. So that that's actually a really good tie in. Uh, Dave can, 
answer this question on video. If you had space, what would you buy for your home gym if you only cared about hypertrophy? I'm wanting to build a home gym. So another interesting question, because I am trying to set up a better home gym for the reasons Abel and I mentioned, um, just the the gym environment is becoming less and less enjoyable to me. So uh, right now I have, so when COVID happened, when I was actually in high school, I was very fortunate. I got for a hundred pounds on Craigslist, I'm sorry, for a hundred dollars on Craigslist, I got over 300 pounds of weights, a squat rack, a barbell, adjustable dumbbells. It was ridiculous. Uh, now, you know, these weren't like Olympic level things, but who cares? I mean, I was in high school. I didn't need that. And actually it's still there to this day. Um, the bar bent when I did deadlifts, so that wasn't great, (laughs) but but other than that, it was, it was fantastic. And I had a lot of good workouts there. So when COVID happened, I bought adjustable dumbbells on, uh, on Amazon, like just the kind that you can add the weights to. So I can do, I can probably load up to about 120 on them if I wanted to. I've got a couple hundred pounds of weights here. I have a squat rack kind of, but it's, I need a barbell for it. So the setup is, I'm kind of limited. And when I get a bigger house, that is like a, a requirement. It's a basement that I can have a finished basement with basically whatever gym equipment I want in there. Um, and if space was not an issue, oh, I that's, that's a that's big, a big thing. if. <laughs> right. That's a, that's a big if. Because, uh, I mean, it can easily take up an entire basement. So I've, I've wondered, should I just do it in a garage? Maybe I, I got to figure that out. But I would say you can do it pretty reasonably cost wise with just the basics that I mentioned, like adjustable dumbbells, barbell, a bench and adjustable bench, right? Incline, decline, flat, all that. Um, and then I think what you and Brian have is great. That whole cable setup. I need to actually get the link from you guys for what, because you guys have the same one, right? No, no, I, I think I'm actually not sure what he has, but uh, it's definitely not the same as mine. Okay. Uh, he has a better one because it has like a, so the pulley on the two sides mm-hmm. and then has like a middle one as well. So uh, so I, I would get that if, if if I could have. But I made a really good deal on mine. It was like 1,500 euros or something like that, which is pretty good for something like this. Yeah. Um, so I would definitely get something like that. And then a few machines. Like I, I actually do quite a lot of my upper body workouts here now, but I pretty much have to go to the gym for lower body. Like the leg extension and leg curl on this bench is just not it's it's better than some i've seen but it's really not adequate um i think a leg extension a leg curl would be a must if you really want the isolations there i would probably try to get a leg press but it seems like what brian and jeff alberts has it's almost like a modified hack squat i think that's pretty reasonable in cost i've seen those for under a thousand dollars whereas i think like a solid 45 degree leg press is probably several thousand dollars Mm-hmm. Um, I would love hammer strength machines, but you start getting to the point where is it feasible to have, you know, like a whole, I mean, some of these are three, four or $5,000 for one piece of equipment. So, you know, I'm probably yeah. fine with putting, I don't know, 10 to $20,000 into like a nice home gym, but I'm not going to put $50,000 into it, you know? So, um, yeah. you know, what equipment. And then again, like just from a space standpoint, it becomes <laughs> ridiculous if I, if I have an entire basement full of gym, I mean, yeah, it's just gym equipment is, is too, uh, too cumbersome. So that's why I think the pulley system you guys have is great. And then the dumbbells and barbells, you have a lot of utility for minimal room. Yeah. I mean, I think for 10 to $20,000, um, like, like one of these all in one combo racks, 
um and and like one of the fancier ones of uh, like out of those could actually be like a very good uh investment because like even though the question says if space was not an issue but i mean I mean, so out of all things, maybe it would have been almost better if you said if finances are not an issue because space right. is an issue space for is everyone. Issue. Yeah. Whereas yeah. finances might not be an issue for everyone. Right. Um, so, but yeah, like like some of these combo racks are so good. Um, so like it might be like a really good pulley system. Um, I think it's even better if it's plate loaded, actually, because then you're not limited by the the stack um mm -hmm. increments yeah. or weight, total weight. Uh, and then it will come with like a squat rack and a Smith machine, sometimes even like a leg press attachment. So, I mean, holy shit, like that's, that's an entire gym basically. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, like honestly, right now, um, and that's partly just, I would, I would either get a squat rack, a good one on top of this, cause I already have barbell and weights, or maybe I would actually get a, a good Smith machine. Um, because like honestly a smith machine like you can do so many things and you can even do some things that you can't really do in a squat rack so so maybe that would actually be my next addition uh besides this um because yeah like smith machine squats like these days i've been doing these smith machine good mornings which i found the setup which actually is mm. it's really comfortable with that you can do like some weird things which smith machine might be the best option for those is hip thrusts so you can even do like deficit hip thrusts in a smith machine um deficit bulgarian split squats which was really nice in a smith machine so and then of course like bench presses and whatever so yeah i, I think that would be an amazing next edition but yeah like uh it, it's actually crazy like a lot of the times i just didn't go to the gym these days because especially because I was freaking sick the whole winter. Like actually this is my first week where I'm kind of not sick. And I was just like going there in the cold and like going to the dressing room and like a bunch of people like close proximity, like infecting you with your, their, their germs. And like, and then you sweat in that, like it's too hot to not sweat, but too cold to be sweaty. Yeah. So I just like hate the whole thing. Um, and I, I trained at home a lot of the times and it's, it's, kind of amazing like the entire lower body or upper body you can train so well with just a, a functional trainer like this because like you can do all the presses you can you can do all the pulls um if the weight stack is not heavy enough uh, even then like so you have two pulleys if you can connect them with like a long bar of sorts and then hook like a single handle on top of that like you like you you can do really heavy like one arm pulls and stuff so yeah, it's, it's it's actually I'm kind of amazed how good of an investment that was, and then on top of that, what I already mentioned, and oh, and make sure that your functional trainer, if you buy one, comes with a pull-up bar if you don't already mm -hmm. have one, because that can be an issue. Um, so yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I used to put a barbell over my squat rack in high school and then do pull-ups on there, which was actually fine. My brother, yeah. I would like it so bad at him for doing this because he would he would do it from the pipes in our basement. Oh God. And I was like, dude, what are you doing? Like this, I'm, I'm amazed that they didn't break. I mean, sometimes like not even like the thick ones, like the thin, like maybe one inch diameter. I was just like, what is happening here? Um, yeah. Honestly, the more we talked about it, the when more... my father yelled my face off for doing this <laughs> once. <laughs> so never since then. The more we talk about it, the more I'm like, man, I, I, I've been tempted several times to just be like, okay, I'm just going to buy it now. But just knowing how much of a pain it would be to move these things i don't even know honestly if it would come assemble i don't even know how it would work so 
like a whole trainer like, like you have, I just couldn't do it here because we have to move. So I, I will just unfortunately have to just keep biding my time until we we actually move. Yeah, usually, usually if you order it from, I mean, if you buy it secondhand, then it's different, obviously. But like usually, if you buy it from an actual store of any kind, like there is an option so that the person assembles it for you, or they come and assemble it for you. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, it's probably like two more. Hey, Dave, been following your podcast and videos for a while. I'm sorry to slide into your DMs like this. Uh, I live for pure hypertrophy results, so I'm experimenting with different particular lifting styles. I was attracted to the Renaissance periodization and revived stronger lifting style because it seems that it's purely focused on hypertrophy, but it had poor results in some exercises. So I was curious about your opinion. What is the best lifting style for hypertrophy, RP1 or 3DMJ? <laughs> sorry if there are mistakes. <laughs> English is not my native language. Okay. Um, I'm going to leave the name out since they were kind of calling out RP and Revive Stronger a little bit there. So I I do think it's interesting. And I, I wonder if it's the complexity of the systems because, and, and again, like this isn't meant to be like a hate or anything because I obviously like these guys a lot. But I, I by far get more DMs about people being like, hey, I've had issues with Renaissance periodization. It didn't work for me. Uh, sometimes Revive Stronger it didn't work for me. Like, you know, either... They want to do coaching or they have questions like this. And I I believe that both of those systems are good and, and can be great for people. So I just wonder, is it that because it's more complex, maybe people do it and they don't do it correctly or they don't really. And maybe they think, oh, well, they, they advocate like four RIR, but then they're doing it with eight RIR and they don't realize it versus a routine that's just like follow this and push as hard as you can is maybe just easier. I don't know why that that happens, you know. Um, so yeah. it, it is interesting, but I would also just say, I don't think there is necessarily like a three DMJ routine or like an RP routine. And I think that's often a misconception as well. It's like, maybe they saw a routine that was done one time by one of the people on these teams. And then they're like, I'm doing the three DMJ routine. And it's like, I'm not aware of any specific like three DMJ routine. I mean, I'm sure they have some examples out there and whatnot, but there's not like a blanket. This is the three DMJ routine. Um, so yeah. I think personally that it, it would be better to just follow these guys and learn the concepts there. You know, they do have some differences. Like, honestly, the, the differences aren't that great in how they train. Um, but I, I would say it seems to be that there's more of an emphasis on starting at lower RERs and ramping up over a mesocycle and whatnot with RP and Revive Stronger. Um, having done that several times, I didn't personally find much of a benefit to it. So I, I prefer more of just like, okay, I'm continuing, I'm continually doing zero to two RER depending on the set. And I just kind of keep focusing on progression from there. Um, I think you, that's mostly your experience. Is that right, Abel? Yeah, 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 definitely. It's, um, I, I think that the RP stuff, you know, to, to be fair with them, it's really hard to go off of people telling you anything that this or that didn't work. Like, I'm sure that like, I mean, I don't know if you, but like, like probably if some coach is listening to this, who has a lot of clients, like they will have come across someone who went to them and said like, yeah, so I, I followed, like I worked with Abel and I followed his stuff, but like, it really didn't work. You know, and like I, I would have a bunch of stuff to say in my defense. Uh, in in some cases, I know. Like I even thought to myself when like something didn't quite work out with a person. Sorry, I'm just gonna make some light real quick. Sure. So something didn't quite work out with a person, and they didn't uh, prolong their their coaching. I was even thinking to myself, like, well, okay, like like this could be typically someone who could give a shitty review about me. Um, but and and then then 
I would have a lot of things to say about like why things didn't work out, you know, and the, the, the same thing goes for, for anyone, including RP, obviously RP is a huge company. So they will have a lot of people who have followed their stuff and, you know, rule of big numbers. There will be a lot of people who failed at it. I'm, I'm sure there sure. will be people who say that this like never, nothing worked this well. Um, it's, it's more complicated to make a system like that work than something that is a bit more straightforward. And you always just kind of train pretty hard and just look to progress. So I would always expect someone or a system like that to have more failure stories, um, simply because like a a lot of people will follow it, like a lot of experienced lifters who will be better at this to, to make something like this work. And then, you know, intermediates and beginners. Yeah. Like a lot of them will screw it up. I'm sure. Um, like, I, I don't know, like if I was to put someone under the wings of Mike Israel or Jared or whoever directly or Steve Hall, you know, I, I would be pretty confident that they will do very well. You know, I, I, I doubt that they will be just a bunch of people who like never train particularly hard and they're just like wussing around because that's often the perception that we are getting because like they start their mesocycles at like four RIR and then gradually build up to zero. I don't know if I, when I'm looking at the videos of Steve Hall and, and Mike, it seems like they're training pretty hard for the most part. So it, yeah. I, I'm sure, I'm sure it would work. Is just um, a lot of moving variables. And I think for a lot of intermediates and novices, I think there is just uh, too long of a time, like, like the period in which you're testing your performance and you're comparing apples to apples because, okay, one RIR, one RIR. Like how much did I progress? I think it's too long. For advanced lifters who will progress like super, super slowly, um for you for example like you've been lifting for like what 16 17 years something like that i think for you it it wouldn't be a bad system to follow actually compared to just trying to progress all the time because progress is slow anyway um sometimes so slow that like you're not sure that you're even progressing right so i think it, it it would be actually totally fine probably to follow something like this i think intermediates and novices should follow something a bit more aggressive as a progression scheme that's my opinion yeah <laughs> yeah no no and it's a, it's a concept i brought up on i was on um jordan lips podcast recently and he i mentioned how you and i have discussed how it is some of the are some of these things that we're doing just kind of masking the fact that progression is not happening for a long time and in the same way that i said about leg day earlier i was like you know you could make the argument that well if you're really not progressing much anyway why are you torturing yourself with these leg sessions now the counter argument to that would be well maybe you need to torture yourself to get any progress and you won't know unless you do it. So that's fine. Um, but you could make a similar argument with this whole failure thing. If you're like, well, and I, and I've thought this myself. I'm like, well, if we believe that three RAR is just as effective as two and one and zero RAR and zero RAR is way more painful. And those last few reps really suck. You could make it like, you, you could certainly make the argument and I'm not making this argument, but you could make the argument. Why not just always train at three to four RAR if it's going to be the same results and you're not going to have so much suck in your training um, or even just like the revive stronger and Renaissance periodization method of, Hey, if you can have one out of every four workouts be a zero RAR rather than every workout, why not? Like you're getting to do easier training that should be just as fun, if not more fun, because you're not in so much pain why not do it? Now I say that. And then I don't, I don't follow that. Right. I always do train <laughs> the failure pretty much every session, but uh, you could make the argument. 
Yeah, yeah. If I can just comment on that, like it's, it, and I and I think honestly that's why nobody recommends training with three to four RIR all the time. And I I remember your last interview with Eric um, Eric Hams where where I said that it was maybe the best Eric Hams interview I've heard. And it's true, but that one part annoyed me a little bit that he just wasn't willing to answer you straight. Like, so like, do you say, do you think I would be fine training with like five to six or I or my entire training career? It's like, well, but you need to train close to failure sometimes to know what failure is and stuff like that. It's like, no, fuck, like just answer the question. Do you think it would be fine or not? And, but, but I think honestly, that's, that's his reason. And that's Mike's reason. That's what most people's reasons are, is that like, you just don't like we don't know for sure if it's really as good to train with like four to six rir or something as with like one to zero rir so like what are you going to put your money on like if you're not sure like just do what seemingly always worked for like a lot of lifters what's also intuitive like if training grows muscle harder training grows more muscle right so at least like some of your training should be pretty damn hard and you can also incorporate some easier sets, but still pretty hard sets. And yeah, like probably is going to work fairly well. So I think it's just a, you know, insurance policy of sorts, if nothing else. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So we'll wrap up on that one. I have one more I wanted to get to on um, AM and PM sessions, but we'll leave that as a teaser for the next one because I have a client waiting on me. So yeah. uh, always fun Abel. we'll do we'll break this up so if you're watching this then part one was on my channel so come check it out and uh where can well i would say where can we find you Abel? but this the part's going to be on your channel so you here. can find him right here keep watching <laughs> this channel <laughs> where can we find you uh so i'm sure we'll have a link below brains against podcast brains against podcast.com and instagram dave underscore mcconey and if you guys have other questions you can either post them in the comment section uh, DM us. Your Instagram is still working tentatively, right? So you can yeah. DM either one of us. Yep. Sounds good. Well, cool.